Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and this week I'm coming from sunny blue sky Port Douglas. That's why I'm not wearing a coat. On the program tonight, we've got Julia Lee on why the market keeps rising despite all of these headwinds of wars and rising petrol prices, inflation and interest rates on the rise. All those things should be hurting the stock market, but March has been a great month for stocks. We'll find out why with Julia Lee. And Paul Rickard has a look at Magellan. Is it in the buy zone? This was a $60 stock a year or so ago. And now it's $14. It's fallen at least three major um, drops on the market. Often three is enough before you start buying. Let's see if poor Rico thinks it's time to get in there and buying Magellan again. And then Michael Knox of Morgan's, the chief economist there, he's really good at picking the Aussie dollar. So I've got him to give us his latest outlook for the Aussie dollar. Is it going to keep on rising? If so, you need to consider that when you're investing. And also on interest rates, Will the Australian situation follow the American one? The Americans are talking about seven or even 10 interest rate rises. Could that put pressure on us? I've got Michael Knox covering that particularly important topic. So let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. All right, Julia, one question I keep getting all the time is, you know, with so many headwinds out there with the Ukraine war rising, petrol prices, a budget to come, an election to come, uh, inflation, interest rate rising, how come the stock market is on the rise again? It's actually been a fantastic time for the market this month. We're on track for the best monthly gain in 17 months. And the last five sessions, all five, have seen a positive return for the market. I guess it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride this year, though. In January, the market was down 6.5%, February up a bit. And then in March, we've seen a bounce back. So the year's pretty flat. And I guess the main concern that in investors have at the moment is around inflation. And inflation is really just the value of your cash melting away. And if you, th if you think about what you want to do to protect the value of your assets in an inflationary environment, you want to either probably be looking at real assets like commodities, which have been performing extremely well, or you want to find investments which are growing faster than the pace of inflation. So I think at the moment, um, the market's being focused very much on rising interest rates, and it's hit things like the tech sector, the property sector, infrastructure extremely hard. But I feel like, Pete, that it's a case of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater because there are still companies in that sector growing very strongly and profitable. And of course, in a rising interest rate environment and inflationary environment, you do want companies that are growing strongly and profitable as well. Yeah, one of the things you said last week, which a lot of people were interested in, you said um, tech is starting to look interesting, which is Julia Lee code for, hmm, I might be buying some. Did you buy any tech stocks last week? Yeah, I think zero under $100, which is back at today, um, is looking very interesting. And look, I think a fair value is more around that $120 mark. And look, some of its competitors are upping the game overseas over in the US. We're seeing Intuit allowing its customers to do um, projects and mail outs through MailChimp. Um, but altogether, things have been still relatively strong from a growth perspective. I'm watching the budget to see whether there are 
extra incentives for innovation and new companies here in Australia. So the next 24 hours, I think is going to be important. But of course, the reason why shares have been sold down so heavily in that tech sector is around rising interest rates. Today, Pete, in the uh, three-year Australian bond uh, yield space, we saw it reaching the highest level that we've seen in 2014. And of course, over in the US, we're seeing worse. The next month, the market pricing in a 50 basis point rise in interest rates over in the US. And look, of course, in that type of environment, you're going to see commodities doing relatively well, which we have. BHP is up another 2.6% today. Iron ore prices are above 150 US a tonne. The banks, uh, usually they reprice their mortgage books upwards and the banks were all positive today. And insurers as well, they usually make a greater yield from their investment income, which is usually invested in things like US bonds and Australian bonds. Yeah, um, you have liked miners of late. You have, you're not always a, a, a person who invests in miners, but of late you have been. Are you still with the mining sector? Yes, still with the mining sector. Um, BHP Billiton has been doing well. We still have Woodside, even though we've decreased our stake and almost halved and taken profits in uh, Woodside now. And the reason behind that is that while uh, the, the war in, uh, between Ukraine and Russia is still uh, elevating uh, energy prices and uncertainty around energy, in actual fact, Pete, you know, it costs less than 50 US a barrel to get oil out of the ground. And at the moment, we're seeing it at about 110 US a barrel. We have seen oil prices taking a bit, bit of a step back today, and that's because of the COVID situation in China. We've seen half of Shanghai being locked down. And of course, when you're in lockdown, you're usually not driving, so that impacts on oil demand. Um, so watching China's situation very closely, and on the flip side, we've seen iron ore prices up a huge 5.5% today, and that's really helping fuel the rally in BHP, Rio, as well as Fortescue. So we have BHP, uh, Woodside Petroleum, and not really in that mining space, but somehow related, somewhat related, is Instatec Pivot, which is above $4 at the moment. And you know I've been a fan of fertiliser for a while. And one of the major costs of fertiliser is energy prices. So as oil prices rise, usually see fertilizer prices rising. Okay. So one last thing, if you had to, you know, lay out the, the year ahead for investing, do you suspect ultimately, you know, I'm suspecting a peace talk will eventually re result, that will probably drive down oil prices, make, which would be good for fighting those people thinking a recession is coming. On balance, do you think we'll muddle through this and probably end up higher at the end of this year? Yeah, I think the earnings picture is still looking uh, relatively strong. I think in, in a rising interest rate environment, you still want to be overweight to the financial space as well as the insurance sector. And look, I think commodities will continue to do well. I think oil prices at 110, 120 US a barrel, happy to take some profits um, and money off the table here. But in terms of iron ore, remember China has a different interest rate cycle to the US and Australia. And at, at a time when the US is looking at hiking interest rates, China's really cutting interest rates and stimulating its economy. And usually it does that through building things which should be supportive of iron ore in the short term. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Joining me now is Paul Rickard in the studio while I'm up in sunny Port Douglas. Paul, how are you going? I'm doing well, Peter. Someone has to be here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm glad it's you and not me. Now, mate, let's go to a really important uh, company that's really struggled over 
which really struggled even before um, the new year. It's been on the way down for quite some time. It was around nearly $60 in the middle of last year, but gee, it's been sliding against Magellan uh, today around $14. What's going on there, Paul? And is it in recovery mode yet? Well, fundamentally, Peter, it's a story about performance. That is, the, uh, the market and a number of um, Magellan's investors have realised that it's underperforming its, uh, its key index. It has been doing so for, you know, for some time. And this is uh, what happens to fund managers when you start to underperform. Uh, eventually, the money moves out and uh, that sort of creates its own problems, but of course that means future earnings are going to be lower. Now there's some other things also going on with Magellan, which of course haven't helped, and uh, we've seen uh, yeah, the loss of a, of a CEO back uh, in November, December last year, had a very public sort of separation with uh, Hamish uh, Douglas and uh, his partner. Uh, that was rather messy, and of course that caused uh, consternations amongst uh, shareholders. And then uh, finally we've had some other challenges with Magellan. They were seen to be uh, investing a little bit uh, outside their knitting. In other words, they took a stake in a, in a fast food chain. They invested, or they helped fund Baron Joey, which is one of the investment banks, and they got most of the broking market offside with that. Uh, so all these sort of things have, have, have come together, and we've seen the share price come from about $60 down to about $14, Peter. So it's been a massive fall from grace. Mm -hmm. They lost a major client, uh, St. James's Palace in, uh, in the UK. All these things happen, but fundamentally, putting all that together, uh, still it's largely, as I would say, with most fund managers, uh, they're great when they're performing and when you, they start not to perform, uh, eventually the market uh, gets attuned to that. And of course, uh, we see funds outflow and the share price sort of follows. What, what's going to be needed, Paul, to change the attitude of the analysts who are still negative on the company. Aren't they? Yeah, the analysts have got even more negative, Peter. In fact, they've followed it down a little bit. Uh, and the analysts are now um, still have a consensus target price, which is below uh, the Magellan share price. So uh, Magellan's about $14. The analysts have a consensus of $13.50. And they're worried that you're going to see a lot more funds outflow or funds under management moving out of the company. And that's going to affect uh, future earnings. So uh, they've gone a bit negative. So what, what can turn it around, Peter, is fundamentally um, yeah, the new management team under Chris Mackay. Chris, of course, uh, made his name or made his name originally with Hamish, left the company, has come back. They need to really start to turn the performance around. It doesn't have to be a miracle, but it does have to get back onto a kilter, at least perform along with the index. And if they can stabilise the investment performance, then the funds will stabilise uh, and people will start to see value. So on a value sense, you know, Magellan is super cheap, Peter. You know, it's trading on a, on a price earnings model of about 6.6 times this year's earnings and mm. even allowing for a big fall in earnings next year because people have seen the, the funds have flowed out. It's still only about just under 10 times. So it's really cheap. Uh, there's no argument that Magellan is a value stock, but... I still think there's maybe more bad news to come and the market's going to react negatively. And so until you see the investment performance back on track, I think it's a, a watch and wait stock. Okay, so that's the, the, the problem for anyone who's a shareholder of Magellan. But what if you've just invested your money in, a, in one of Magellan's funds? Are you necessarily in the same difficult predicament? Well, I think you want the same outcome. That is, you really want performance to improve. Um, so I guess in some sense, you've got 
the predicament is a little similar, Peter, not quite the same, but you ultimately want uh, Chris Mackay and, and the investment team at, at Magellan to get their mojo back a little bit. They don't have to outperform, but they have to at least get back to sort of, uh, you know, close to market. And uh, so both shareholders and investors, that is investors in one of their managed funds, really want the same outcome. Okay, so one thing I will say, they've had at least three legs down. That's often enough to turn uh, a, a company's uh, fortunes around. Do you think there's going to be a fourth? Look, hard to call, Peter. I mean, we always warn people about catching the falling knife, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. these things keep falling. And, and I think, uh, you know, I could have made the same argument that Magellan was, looked pretty valuable at, uh, at $20, you know, and it did, but it's now $14. Um, I was a bit surprised that the market was as negative uh, after Magellan's last funds under management report. So they every month they tell the market about the, the, the volume of funds they've got under management. And, and I thought it was always obvious you're going to see funds outflows and the market took it rather negatively. So we're going to see another report round about the 14th of April when they'll update the market for what happened to their funds under management during March. At the same time, about that date, they'll also tell us how they performed during March. Uh, and that might give another sort of leg one way or the other of the share price. But look, I, mm. I, I'm always a bit wary because there hasn't been any bottom. I mean, today's price is the lowest it's been or round about the lowest it's been. Um, there's no sign yet, Peter, that it's actually, you know, has hit the bottom. And I, I think, you know, to go back to that sort of falling knife analogy, um, when we see stock in, a stock in that situation, you know, experience tells us to be super patient, um, wait for it to bottom before you get on. So I, I'd be a little bit uh, cautious trying to just run and say Magellan's super cheap, it's going to turn around. I, I think this is a re an easy company to see what, that it is turning around and all you've got to look for is just look at how it's performing as a funds manager. Okay, mate. Thanks for joining us. It's a very good analysis. Paul Ricard, obviously, what's the report? Thanks, Peter. Well, joining us now from Morgan, the Chief Economist, is Michael Knox. Michael, thanks for joining us. Always great to talk to you, Peter. Mate, a lot of people would be wondering, how come we've got a Ukraine war on, we've got uh, rising inflation, Rising interest rates in the US, we're talking about a 50 basis point rise next month. And you've got um, even talk of a US recession out there waiting to happen. How come stocks are rising right now? Well, uh, the economy is still really, really good um, uh, in the US. Uh, we're at, uh, the US is at full employment. Uh, the number of uh, jobless claims was the lowest uh, in the last month since the 1960s. Um, unemployment uh, is expected in the US, according to the Fed, uh, to fall to 3.5% this year, which is the lowest since 1968. Uh, and growth is still maybe not as strong as they were, uh, as they thought last year, but uh, just below 3% this year and next year. And that's twice as fast as the average growth rate, almost twice as fast as the average growth rate, US economy, the growth rate of the US economy. Uh, that the Fed thinks um, uh, they'll achieve in the long term is about 1.8%. And this year, they think it'll be just below three, about 2.8%. So it's still a very strong US economy. Yeah. Still so earnings, still very good earnings. 
Shane Michael, do you think that, you know, talk of recession this year in the US is baloney? Um, the discussion of recession seems to be because of discussion of the flattening of the yield curve, particularly the, the twos and the tens, the, the two-year bonds and the 10-year bonds. But as I've been pointing out in a uh, series of presentations I've been doing uh, to uh, institutional clients over the last week or so, uh, the, the, there is another measure of the shape of the yield curve, and that is 90-day uh, bills and 10-year bonds. Mm. Um, actually, the, there's a number of them, but that's the one I use. Yeah. And only if both of those invert at the same time is there a recession. And yeah. it is absolutely definitely not the case uh, that the yield curve between the 90 days and the 10 years uh, is it's very strongly positive. It's not inverting at all. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, and in fact, there was one time back in the, um, the end of the 1990s where the twos and tens were almost flat for five years from 1995 through to 2000 and still no recession yeah. occurred until 2000. And there was yeah. a very soft recession when it happened. Yeah, bond markets do, um, they can be good, but they also do have a lot of baloney there, but let's not, let's not pick on bond, bond market people. Let's go to the currency now. A lot of people keep asking me what's happened to the Aussie dollar. I know with our financial planning clients, we put them in IHVV and the hedging is, has worked on partly on your, your best guess. So it's all my fault. Thank you, Peter. Well, we've gained at least. I'm ticking you for that. But um, do you think this A-dollar rise will keep, keep going? Yeah, well, the Aussie dollar and the Canadian dollar are both uh, beneficiaries from uh, uh, the unfortunate events in Ukraine, uh, because what happens uh, in Ukraine, both, uh, both in uh, Ukraine and in Russia, it's, uh, it's enormously damaged uh, the international wheat supply. Um, uh, Ukraine is the fifth largest exporter of wheat in the world, and Australia is the sixth largest exporter of wheat in the world, for example. Uh, and uh, Canada, Canada is a big exporter of uh, wheat and oil, and we are a uh, big exporter of wheat and uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas. And both of those are in short supply because of uh, the Ukrainian the war in Ukraine, and so for both of our currencies have benefited. But um, what, I, what I've said about this before is I think that the rally in the Aussie dollar, which I think is reasonable to expect, uh, happens because of a, a general fall in the US dollar against a number of currencies. And I don't believe that that's begun yet. Um, I think uh, if you look at uh, measures like uh, the, uh, the, XD, uh, the SDR, the IMF uh, basket, which is XDR, XDR USD. If you look at the chart of that, yeah. it's still uh, it's still lower, and uh, the uh, US trade weighted index is still higher. Uh, now, um, I think we've said in a previous uh, discussion that uh, that there was a uh, a bubble in the US dollar at the moment, and uh, and I think we said previously that one of the explanations for that, uh, the one that was uh, done by presented by Bill Dudley when he was asked about this last year um, on Bloomberg was that he thought it was either quantitative easing or um, uh, inflationary expectations of in the, in the US dollar weren't, uh, hadn't been fully realized, you know, how, how inflation, the high level of inflation hadn't yet 
been incorporated in the bond market. Um, and uh, well, here we are. The, the Fed has brought uh, quant bringing quantitative easing to an end. So if it's the Fed buying uh, US Treasury bonds, and uh, uh, then that's going to unwind pretty smartly. Uh, but it hasn't unwound yet. So, okay. so, so you're saying that there is a, a potential for the US dollar to fall more, which of course will probably help, help ours go up. You've also added in the past, I think the big budget deficit in the US often drives the US dollar down as well. And also, if you, if you believe your scenario about lots of growth out there, that also should help you know, uh, exporters like Australia as well, shouldn't it? Yes, um, uh, all, all of that is the case. So uh, the, uh, the answer, Peter, is yes, I'm very optimistic about the US dollar. Yeah. Uh, but but right up right now it's up against uh, a bit of historic resistance at 75 and a half cents. It needs to be able to break through that. And I think probably in the next uh, couple of weeks, my best guess is it won't be able to do it right now. It'll come off a bit, but it'll be able to do it later in, later sometime this year. And you did say US dollar. You were a fan of the Aussie dollar. Aussie dollar up, US dollar down. Is that right? Yeah, and well, also not the, just the Australian dollar, but also the Canadian yeah. dollar, because the Canadian dollar uh, is a big, Canada is a big exporter of wheat and energy, both yeah. of which will be in short supply about what's happening in Ukraine, yeah. and so are we. All right, now, Loxy, some people will be looking at the problems in Europe and saying, well, if peace talks eventually happen, a lot of European companies that uh, have come off the boil because of the fears around the Ukraine-Russian uh, war, uh, they'll probably have a, a stock market rebound. And, and I've often said to those, those people, but you've got to be careful about the currency because one of my best trades of all time was buying the triple Q after the dot-com bust. The triple Q rebounded like nobody's business, but so did the Aussie dollar. So all my gains was, in a sense, were wiped out by the gains in the, in the Aussie dollar. What is your view on Aussie dollar versus euro going forward? Um, well, uh, I, I think uh, I think we'll outperform most, most exchange rates. Right now, our model, uh, well, as the uh, Aussie dollar has gone up this little way from um, about 70 cents US to about uh, 75 cents US, uh, in terms of our model of the Aussie dollar, which is famously bullish, uh, it's moved from three standard errors too cheap to 2.7 standard errors too cheap. Uh, so I think that the Aussie and the Canadian dollar are both very strong against pretty much all comers over the next couple of years. Mm. Uh, and I think they'll outperform the euro. Yeah, I think the euro will go up against the US dollar, but I think they'll outperform, that's for sure. Yeah, right. So uh, one last question, it's related to probably both. Um, how aggressive do you think the Fed's going to be? And then how, how aggressive do you think Dr. Phil Lowe, not Dr. Phil, as you made, made, made the point last time. Mr. Philip Lowe, PhD, in fact. That's I right. I said I'm last time. Your ear and told you. Tell Switch to stop calling me Dr. Phil. Um, um, so the, just give us your Fed view, then what you think the RBA will do here. Well, I think both central banks are in entirely different circumstances because inflation is completely different. And the reason inflation is completely different is because the US budget deficit was much, much, twice as large as ours, uh, mm. and twice as much deficit stimulus, particularly uh, the deficit stimulus last year. I've, I've done a little podcast in which I've suggested that uh, the, uh, the deficit stimulus last year in uh, the US added 10.5% to the level of US inflation. Mm. Um, 
So it's a major structural problem, that budget deficit too big. So uh, therefore, what the Fed has to do is much more aggressive than uh, what we have to do. I've, uh, in my most recently updated model of the Fed funds rate, I've thought, uh, I actually, my, my target for the Fed funds rate at the end of the year was 100, 190 points. And uh, the consensus uh, in the, uh, with the dot clocks, uh, the, the Fed members was 189 basis points. So I thought yeah, that's pretty that. much it. Yeah, so the Fed fund goes up uh, 2% this year. But the other thing that uh, Jay Powell has, done, has said is that, uh, is that when we read the minutes of this meeting that's just passed, what, what we realised is there was a, a very detailed discussion of the beginning of uh, reducing the size of the balance sheet. And I think that that the I think that the effect of QE on keeping interest rates low, uh, particularly uh, things like uh, U.S. mortgages. Remember, the Fed wasn't just buying U.S. Treasury bonds; it was buying mortgages. Yeah. Now we've seen uh, uh, the Fed has stopped buying mortgages as well as U.S. Treasuries, and we've seen quite dramatic increases in um, in U.S. Uh, Treasuries and U.S. mortgages. U.S. mortgages, twenty-year mortgages, are up almost two percent. I mean, yeah. the Fed might have only gone up twenty-five basis points with the rate hike, but uh, mortgage rates in the U.S. Uh, are up almost two percent since the beginning of the year. So I think, I think that tightening of mortgage rates will be much, much more aggressive than what you see the Fed do, and that's <laughs> that's why I think it's really going to put the brakes in the U.S. economy uh, yeah. as we move, particularly into next year. Okay, so Australia, um, we're only putting up uh, short rates. I think uh, um, uh, inflation, that core inflation uh, in the trimmed mean in Australia, the last measure was only 2.6%. And, and Mr. Philip Lowe, PhD, pointed out that we, you know, after in five years, we've only just now hit our inflation target for the first time. Hmm. So I don't think he has to move. I think you'll start moving in the second half of the year rather than the first half of the year. Yeah. Um, but our, what's really important, I think, in the currency market is what's happening at the long end. And our bond yields are a full 70 basis points higher for 10-year bonds than the US is. And I think that's what, what the international market will buy, will be our bonds rather than the short rates. Great stuff, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Michael Knox, Chief Economist at Morgan's. And that was Michael Knox of Morgan's. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, we're here on Thursday. And if you want to know more about the stocks we like, for my experts, my team of experts, go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining me. See you on Thursday.